0: started in John chapter 15, we're going to start by reading the first eight verses. So if I could have everyone please stand with me, and we'll go ahead and start in verse one where Jesus is speaking. Jesus starts off by saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing." I, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And the men, they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is the Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. As we start this passage in this study, it's important for us to understand the culture and context as our pastor has has, uh, taught us many times. And so the context of this passage is Jesus has already spent time with his disciples in the upper room. He has already dismissed his disciple that is going to betray him. He's dismissed Judas out, and he's said, you go and prepare what you need to. And now he's on his way traveling to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the way, he's just hours from going and giving a sacrifice for the entire world and all of mankind on the cross. But he decides to teach his disciples some things, and this is one of the teachings that he decides to teach his disciples right before he's going to be taken. And so with that idea in mind... It should help us understand the importance of what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. And so let's jump into the first few verses. In the first few verses, we see that Jesus, he shares an analogy of the vine. And so this is an analogy of that Jesus is trying to help us understand how our Christian life should live and how it should be produced and how we should continue in Christ. And it's interesting, in the New Testament, oftentimes, God uses organic illustrations to help us understand how we are to live our life. We have the body of Christ. We have the fruits of the spirits, the planting of the seed of the gospel, the wheat and the tares, Christians being like sheep. And now Christ is saying that we have the analogy of the vine and how we should live the Christian life. The first part that we see in verse 1 is Jesus says, I am the true vine. And so in it's, it's an important statement that he says, I'm the true vine. In the context that Jesus was in, he is with these Jewish people. He's in Israel. And he has made six other statements that says, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life. And now he ends these I am statements with the seventh one, I am the the vine. And it brings us back to this idea in the Jewish culture, they they understand that Jesus, he's making a claim also to deity when he's saying I am in these words. We see in Exodus 3.14 that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and he gave himself a name to share with the children of Israel to know that Moses was a messenger of God. He said here in Exodus 3.14, he said, Moses go and tell them that I am that I am and he said thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel I am has sent me unto you he's saying that the God of Israel his name is I am and Jesus when he is making these seven statements of I am they understood that he wasn't just saying you know I'm the vine he's saying here I am deity I am God and I am the vine and more clarification on that but it's interesting in Psalm 80 Verse 8, there's also a reference to the vine being taken out of Egypt. It says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, and thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. The entire Bible was written about Christ, and it was always pointing to Jesus, even from the Garden of Eden. We see that the the people in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they sinned, and God had to provide a lamb as a covering for them. And that lamb being sacrificed was pointing towards Jesus being the sacrifice for our sins. And so we see that even in this passage in Psalms, we see that we have the vine being taken out of Egypt. It's originally referring to the Israelites being taken out of Egypt by God. But also 1400 years later we see that Jesus, he fled as a baby, his parents took him into Egypt and he was there escaping what Herod was doing and it was a fulfillment of prophecy and then Jesus was brought out of Egypt and he was now in Israel. And we see that even in this Jesus saying the vine was brought out, Israel was brought out of egypt but i'm the true vine i was taken out of egypt as well and this is the correlation we see but next jesus explains to us not only is he the true vine but he shows us that god the father he is the gardener and so in verse in the verse uh, second part of verse one we see that he says my father is the husbandman Now, this word, the husbandman, we we don't use it in our culture today because this is a term for a position that existed in the Middle Ages. And this was a position of someone who he worked with the ground. He tilled the ground. Today, we we would say that it was more of a gardener who tills the ground. He cultivates. We look at the original words of Christ, and we see in the original text, it says it's a Greek word that basically is telling us, that a husbandman is a cultivator of the ground. It is someone who tills the earth, a worker of the soil. And so he's saying that God the Father, he is a cultivator of the plants. He is a cultivator of the branches, of the vine. And he's going to work with the ground. He's going to work with it to bring forth more. And so he's showing us here that God, he is going to tend to the branches. He's going to uh, work with it. Next we see in verse 2a, we see the people, that's us, that's you and me. We are the branches, and we're an extension of the vine. We are coming out of the vine, and we are to receive nutrients from the vine, and we're suppo- supposed to produce fruit in our life that reveals the nutrients from Jesus that we are being provided and what we are receiving. But then he, he talks about fruit, but what is fruit? What is fruit? Fruit is an expression of an inner nature. As we think of an orange tree, I grew up in Florida, so we had orange trees everywhere. And so, an orange tree, it its nutrients from the water and from the ground and, and then it grows and it has branches and it, and it then sprouts leaves and then after a while it reveals its true nature through the fruit that it produces. The inner nature of that tree, it's a, it looks like a tree like any other, but then once it produces its fruits, it reveals what it is. And Jesus is saying here, he's saying that the branches they will produce fruits that reveals the inner nature, that reveals that they are a follower of Christ, that they are connected to the vine. So as we recap, the vine is Jesus. Jesus supplies nutrients to the branches. And then the fruit on the branch, it's evidenced that it is connected to the vine. The first thing that we see in verse 2a is that fruitful will be removed. The gardener, God the Father, he says that he will remove these branches that are unfruitful. In Romans 6, 5, we see that, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, then we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We are planted together with Christ... As we are saved. And as we are, when we get saved, we're planted with Christ. And so we are attached to the vine, we are sprouts off of the vine, and then we are able to produce that fruit. But what happens when we have a branch and there's no fruit? What happens when we have these so called branches that are no longer producing the fruit? In the life of a Christian, we have this, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is no doubt at this point in his ministry, he's already dismissed the, his betrayer. He has dismissed this uh, disciple who is going to betray him in the upper room. In the upper room, we have a picture of Jesus, a symbol of him washing the disciples' feet. And the disciples are here in this moment and there's still the 12 disciples there and Jesus is washing their feet and he then says these words Jesus said unto them he that is washed he needeth not to save to wash his feet but he is clean every whit, and ye are clean but then he adds these words but not all everyone say but not all for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, "You are not all clean." I'm sure in the heart of our Savior, as he is teaching this very important truth to his disciples about the Father will remove those unfruitful branches. I'm sure his mind is on the disciple that he spent three and a half years investing into. And this disciple bared no fruit. The fruit that he bore is not of Christ, but it is of the devil. And he is getting ready to betray his Savior. He's beginning to ready to turn his back on him. And he's saying here that personally, the Father will remove those branches that are not producing fruit of Christ in their life. They're not showing the evidences of Christ in their life. And my question for you is, are you producing Christ in your life? Do you have the evidence of, in your life that you are a follower of Christ? Or are you just a branch that is not producing fruit? He's saying here that those branches that do not produce fruit, they will be removed by the gardener, by God the Father. But then we also see a broader sense in this. We see the church in Ephesus. And as a church, if a church is not producing Christ in their, in, as a church, then he will remove them. And it's interesting, I love how our pastor is constantly going verse by verse by verse through the Bible. And he's not just jumping around in different passages, but he's taking us expository through the Bible so we understand the culture and context of what the Bible is telling us. And so uh, we are in a, a series that has been incredible about Revelation But as a youth group, we're also going through a verse-by-verse study of the book of Ephesians. And I love whenever we have the, the correlation or the connection between what we learn in Sunday morning and what we learn on Wednesday night. And there's a connection or a cross street between Ephesians and the book of Revelation. We have already studied it, so many of you probably already know. But... This church is mentioned in Revelation, the church of Ephesus. and You can see on the map that we have on the other side of Spain, on the Mediterranean Sea, we have where Ephesus was located in Turkey. And that's where this church existed and lived. And this was an incredible church. And they're spoken well of throughout the Bible because they had everything. They had Uh, outreaches, they had ministries, they had growth groups, they had all these things. It says they were zealous for the Lord. They had all these things that they were doing that was great. But then our Savior says something in Revelation. Our Savior says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. You have all these things that you're doing, but I have somewhat against thee because you have left Your first love. And so I think it's important that we pause for a moment and understand that just because we are doing things that a Christian should do, it doesn't mean that we are being a follower of Christ. You see, as we are a follower of Christ, as we are a a branch attached to the vine, we will produce these things in our life. The fruit of our life will show that we are a follower of Jesus But he's saying here that just because you do the right things doesn't mean that you are a follower of his. You can lose that first love of Christ. And the Ephesian church, they had lost their first love. And he's talking and he's saying if you don't return, that he will remove that church. And so we see that God the Father... The branches that don't produce fruit, he's saying that he will remove them. And he's saying here that even personally he will remove them, but also as a church. And may we as a church take a moment and just reflect and say, you know what, God, may we never lose our first love. May we always be a follower of Jesus. May we never get distracted with all the things that we do and lose sight of who we are. We are the redeemed which means that we are purchased with a price. God sent his son to die on a cross for you and I. And that should be what motivates each of us to be a follower and then results in the actions of what we do. So we see that the unfruitful, they are removed, but then Jesus says that the fruitful, those who are his followers, he says that they're going to be pruned. They're going to to be pruned with the word of God so that they can produce more fruit. And so in Ephesians 4.15, it says, But speaking the truth in love, we should grow up in Christ in all things. And that's the desire of our Savior. Because when we get saved, he doesn't want us just to be a leaf that sprouts. He wants us to grow and to be a branch and to mature and to bear more fruit and to bear much fruit. But those of you who are gardeners, are there any gardeners in here that uh, you tend to plant? So we've got a couple over here, a couple over here. You understand that if you're going to produce fruit or flowers, pruning is essential to us. And so he's saying here that we are to grow as Christians in Ephesians chapter 4. But Jesus gives us a little more context in John 13 in the upper room. In John 13, it says, Jesus saith unto him, he's speaking to Peter at this point, he says, he that is washed, he needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. We look at this passage again, because as we see it, he is washing the disciples' feet with water, and he is showing them that he is washing the dirt and the filth of this world off of their feet. And he's saying that you are washed through this water. But then in this passage, he's saying that you are cleansed from the filth and sin of this world. Those distractions in the world Through the word of God, God will prune our lives and prune you and I through his word. He will remove the distractions from our life so that we can remain focused on Christ, so that we can produce his fruit in our life. And we see that in the Old Testament as well. In Psalm 119, we see, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I use this all the time with the teenagers wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word by applying god's word to their life by learning god's word by taking heed putting it into your life applying it into your life how do we cleanse our life how do we have a life that produces more fruit we use God's word to cleanse us, to take away all distractions that we would have in our life. Now, when I was younger, I got a rose plant for my mom. And I, I'm not a, uh, a gardener by any means, but this is a picture of something similar to what I got my mom. And I thought, you know, Mother's Day was coming, it was May, and I thought, I'm going to help my mom, you know, I'm going to get her something that she loves. She loves plants. What I didn't know is she hates taking care of plants. (laughs) And so uh, I can relate because I struggle. And so I got her this rose plant and she said, wow, this is beautiful. It had like one little like rose on it to prove it was a rose plant. And so she said, you know, it'd be great if it had more more roses on it. And I said, you know what? That's a great idea. She said, here, you try and figure that out. And so I did what any botanist would do or gardener. I went straight to... Google and I said, "How can I get a rose plant to produce more roses?" And it said, "You know, take little scissors." And so I took little scissors and I started trimming away. You know, here's a brown piece. i was like, "Okay, that's dead. You know, let me cut that off." Okay, here's a here's some leaves. It said, "Cut some of the leaves off." So I cut the leaves off and so I started trimming away, trimming away, and I was cutting, 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 cutting. And I looked at it, and all I have is like four stalks. (laughs) Like like I had these green little prickly, you know, things sticking out of the ground. And I thought, oh my word, I have just killed my mom's plant that I just got her. (laughs) And you know what? It came back. And it produced so many more rose blossoms because all those leaves and all those things that were taking nutrients away from the plant were removed, and it was able to put all those nutrients towards producing fruit, And in our life, God the Father uses the Word of God to remove things from our lives that is unnecessary to producing fruit. He'll remove those things that are taking up our time. By using his word. Because as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we'll be more focused. We'll have a singleness of mind on the things of God. You know, maybe it's something that isn't even bad. Maybe it's the sports that you spend so much time keeping the stats. And you're watching the games. And you've got a fantasy football league. And you're watching that. And you spend hours doing that. And it's not a bad thing. But maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's something as simple as you have you have this promotion that you want to reach at work and you're saying, you know what, I want to reach this promotion so then I'll have more time to invest in God, but maybe God hasn't given it to you because he knows if you get the promotion, then you're going to invest even more time into work and not have time to focus on Christ. What he's saying here is that God will use his word to wash away those things that are distractions in our life so we can produce Christ in our life. And so As we are thinking about this, what is in my life that is not necessary to producing Jesus? What is there? God says that he will use his word to prune that or to remove that out. And so now that we've looked at the analogy of the vine, let's look at four simple lessons that our Savior teaches us about this vine and how we can apply this to our life. There's four profound lessons, and we'll start with the first one. The first one is very simply, we see this in verses 4 and 5, the true disciples of Jesus they are sustained by him. You see, the vine produces life for the branches. The vine produces the food for the branches. The vine will produce power to these branches. And early in the gospel of John, Jesus, he illustrated this again. It says in John six fifty six that he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, he dwelleth in me And I in him. Now, this was a controversial teaching that literally people didn't understand, so they walked away, it says in the following verses. His followers, they left because they didn't understand what he was saying. Jesus is saying here just as what you eat is important because then you use that in your body and it comes out through your life, he's saying that you need to consume Christ. You need to fill your minds with Christ. He's saying here, just as uh, many parents in the room, if, how many of you have a child in your house? Raise your hand, let me see. Just as you are not going to feed your children lucky charms for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because you don't want them to consume all that sugar and then have cavities and then have, uh, eventually it could turn into diabetes. And as you consume all these things that might be harmful for your children, you, you know that what goes in and what you consume it will affect you. And Jesus is saying that we need to find our sustenance. We need to find our energy, our life, our growth. What provides power for our lives, just as in our body food does, what provides power in our lives needs to come from Christ. It needs to come from Jesus. In First John, we see more explanation of how we dwell or how we abide in Christ. It says, and he that keepeth his commandments, he dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that we abide in us, that he abides in us, by the spirit which he hath given us. He's saying here that as we obey the commandments of Christ, and as we follow them, and as we learn them, then we are abiding in Jesus, and He and us, and we're filling our minds so that we can be sustained by Him. The Spirit dwells in Jesus' disciples. And in that last lesson that Jesus teaches, we'll explore some evidences of how when we abide in the Holy Spirit, He then produces evidences in our life that we truly are showing Christ to others in our life. The next lesson that we learn is that people severed from Jesus, they will burn. This is a shocking statement, but Jesus used this analogy not as just a figurative statement. He used this to convey an absolute reality to us. If you're a student of Jesus, you'll remember his teaching on the wheat and the tares. And we'll, we'll review this very quickly. In Matthew 13, he says, As therefore the tares, or the unbelievers, they go and they're gathered, and they're burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. And our pastor is walking us through a series that is talking about this. Because the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. And they shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is teaching us that just as these branches are removed, that are not abiding in him, and they are cast into the fire, he's saying here that these people that do not abide in Christ, the fire is the future that they have waiting for them. This place called hell is a place that is real. And if we really do believe what Christ has told us, then we will be talking to our neighbors. We will be setting up appointments with our friends. We will be reaching out to our co-workers and telling them they do not have to go to this place called hell. Because the Bible is very clear that without Christ, if you are a branch that is not abiding in the vine, if you are not someone who is saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ, he is very clear that you are gonna burn one day. And do we believe that? I'm thankful that we have uh, some Christians in our church, and many of you go out and you tell people about Jesus. But I'm going to share one story that happened very recently. Uh, We have TBC door hangers that we use, and we put out on doors. And uh, many of you, you come out, even the last week or two weeks ago when we did that, to put out door hangers to tell other people about Christ. And it has the gospel on one side, church information on the other. And we have a, a man in our church who he's gone out for decades now, With a team of his friends that, and they go every single week to tell other people about Jesus and to specifically take these door hangers and to put them on doors. And his one prayer request as he goes out is that as he is putting these out, that one would be used to get someone into the church so they can hear the gospel. And about five weeks ago, God answered that prayer. And there was a young mother who, she received one of these door hangers. And it wasn't the first time that she had heard about the church. She had heard about the church because she came to an extravaganza. And she was there, and she heard, but she didn't ever come to a service. And so God used this door hanger on her door about five weeks ago to say, You know what? She needs to come to Tucson Baptist Church and 5 weeks ago she came and she got connected and she put her children in Awana and she grew and she's been to starting point class and then she was baptized last Sunday and she's growing and growing all because God used one man's effort to make sure that people are not going to burn one day where is our passion where is our desire whose door are we knocking on saying hey I had a a neighbor that just moved into my neighborhood. He's right next door to me. Are we over there knocking on the door saying, Hey, I need to get to know you. I need to spend time with you. I need to share with you that you are going to burn without Christ one day. Where's our passion? Where's our fervency? Because if we really do, do believe that Jesus is our eternal Savior, He gives us an opportunity to be with God in heaven, then do we just not care about other people If we believe that he's our savior, then we must believe that other people apart from Christ will go to a place called hell. But where is our urgency to go and to share the good news with them? Jesus is telling us that without him, people will burn. So are you praying for them? Are you reaching them? Let's talk about prayer. Next, Jesus says in verse 7, he says, When you abide in him... Then your prayers will align with God's will." See, prayer it's not a wish list. Sometimes we get this misconception that, you know, uh, Amazon just sent uh, this package to my to my house, and it's this wish list for Christmas with all these pictures, and my daughter is looking through, wow, I love this toy. Oh, this is a dinosaur. Oh, this is a Polly Pocket. And she's looking through, and sometimes we get the misconception that this is how prayer works, that we pray and we say whatever we wish for, and God will give it to us. But that's not what Jesus is teaching us here. He's telling us that we need to abide with him. James 4. Says, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Many of you might remember that we were down here and about two years ago, we had these big letters that were up on the stage, and it was C O M P E L Compel. And we had these stickers that we were given to put a name on there of the person that we are praying that they would come to know Christ. And many of us we took and we put a sticker on there. And we prayed that God would come and bring them to his own. And then COVID happened. And here it is two years since then. How many of us have been faithful in that? I know the person that I put on there, he's still not saved. He still does not know Christ. How is our prayer life? I'm, I'm constantly encouraged by our teenagers as they grow. And uh, you see a picture of the teen growth group. And on Sunday mornings, I love taking prayer requests with them because you can see just in their request the growth that is happening in their life. You know, when they come in as a seventh grader, oftentimes they'll say, Hey, can you pray for my dog? You know, he's got like a broken foot. You know, he's just kind of struggling a little bit. And then as they grow and they mature in their faith, They transition from their request being these temporal things in the earth that are going to pass away. And they start shifting towards things of the eternal. And even this morning, we have students that are praying for their dad. And their friend, that they would come to know Jesus and that they would get saved. We have one young lady, we've been praying for months for her grandmother to be saved. And it's encouraging when she gives reports and says, hey, I have encouraging news. My grandmother, she's, she's more open to the gospel. We talked to her about it, and she didn't shut it down. Guess what? Hey, I'm encouraged because, you know, my grandma's going to come to church next week because she gets to wear a Hispanic dress She doesn't know it's missions conference, but, you know, she's going to get to hear the gospel, and she's excited because she's praying in a way that her prayer request aligns with the will of God. And as we continue to grow and we are sustained by Jesus in our lives, our prayer request will then align with God's will. And so that way, as we are sustained by Jesus, so that his words and his teachings, they flow out of you, then your prayers will also align with the will of God. The last thing that we see is God is honored, as his nature is expressed in our lives. The Holy Spirit of God shows us evidences of him dwelling in us. The Apostle Paul, he wrote out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He said these are evidences that you are abiding in Christ. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. The fruit of the vine or the fruit of Jesus is an expression of the nature of Jesus. Are we expressing an inner nature through our lives that Jesus is coming out to others? Jesus says that what is in your heart will come out. Through your life? Where is your fruit coming from? Is it coming from a sustainingness of Jesus in your life or is it coming from distractions? As we close, I've got four questions very simply. Are you sustained? by Jesus. Does your energy, does your joy, where does your joy come from? Where does your life come from? And I'm here to tell you, if your joy comes from the money that you earn, it's in the wrong place. If the life that you have comes from your family and your kids and your grandkids, it's found in the wrong place because they're going to fail you. If your joy in your life comes from from friends, they're going to walk away from you. Your joy, where is it found? Where are you being sustained from? How are you, not the church, how are you keeping people from burning? Who are you specifically reaching and telling that one day apart from Christ, they will spend eternity in hell? Who are you reaching? Do your prayers align with the will of God? Or are you asking upon your own desires and wants? Do you have any evidence in your life of abiding in Jesus? What fruit is coming out? What inner nature in your life is being revealed through your actions and through your character?